You are now listening to an awesome sermon from the St. Louis Dream Center. Grab a pen and some paper, you're in for a treat. So when I was in high school and I started playing sports, I noticed something that you know, leading up to basketball season or baseball season or football season, I mean, everybody's so excited. It's like the list for tryouts is to infinity, and the coach most times has to narrow that team down to about 15, 20 players. So you may have 50 players trying out, but only 15 or 20 make the team. And those of you that are athletes, you get this. Those of you that are not, I'm sorry, I'll have a different story the next time so you can grab it. (laughs) But I remember the first two days of practice. My God. You would run so much. We call them suicides. Whether you play basketball, soccer, or whatever. You had to run these things called suicides. And, and it felt like you were going to die. That's why they called them suicides. And I remember the first day, man, guys would drop like flies. Because the first couple of days, like when you play basketball or soccer, the first couple of days, that's all you really do is run. And so they're running. And then they're like, the next day, I'm not coming back. Uh Uh-uh. I said, well, wait a minute. You you talked about wearing a uniform, and you were bragging about wearing number 23 like Michael Jordan, and you wore number 10 like Pele did. Whatever it is, you talked about you were going to do this thing. And now, one day in, two days in, you quit? And this is what they say. They run too much. The the coach yells too much. This isn't as much fun as I thought it would be. And one thing that I would hear over and over again, this is too hard. It's too hard. It's interesting that we can mirror sports with our faith. That many of us get saved and we're like, yes, yes. I'm saved. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead to bring me back to life. Now I have prosperity, health, and everything that goes along with knowing him. But you find out really quick the Christian faith isn't about your come up. It isn't about the new house or the new car or the new hubby or wifey. No. There are aspects of the Christian faith that are actually hard. And it's interesting because the scripture, many are called, but few are chosen, comes to mind. Because God has got to call out to everybody and he wants to bless everybody. But the pathway to the place of blessing isn't rose petal gardens or beautiful sceneries. Sometimes the pathway to the blessing of God can be hard. You know, it's interesting that Jesus had a point where he had a bunch of disciples. And as he had all of these disciples, he gathered them all together and he gave them this thought. He said, okay, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Now, they're thinking literal. And I'm like, this dude must be crazy. I mean, I love the meal that he gave. It said that the fish, that catfish, whoo, succulent. JJ's couldn't touch it. 
uh, uh, uh. Oh, that bread, that was like Olive Garden with the oil and the, and the Parmesan cheese with the pepper. That dude could, oh, he could throw down. I, I want to hang with him. But he must have lost his mind. Drink my blood. Eat my flesh. And what Jesus was giving them was an analogy of the death that he would die and the sacrifice that they would have to make to be with him. And the Bible says that they said, this is too hard a saying. And many of his disciples left him that day. And it was only the 12 left. Today, we're going to talk about something. And you're going to have to make a decision where you stand. Today, I am presenting you with an opportunity of all opportunities to say, Jesus, I am in this thing for real, or I'm just committed to be a churchgoer. And this is what I'll tell you when we're done. If you lean into this, if you do this, there will be a blessing that will come upon your life like never before. But I promise you, There are some choices that you're going to have to make after this message that will not grade well with your ethnicity, some of your background. I'm just setting you up. Because to be the church that God has left in the earth to make the mark that he has told us to make, we can't be like the rest of the world. We can't act like the rest of the world. We can't respond like the rest of the world. We can't think like the rest of the world. And if you're comfortable being in your worldly state, you are fine. But don't expect the blessing and favor of God to chase you down while you want to stay the same way. We are talking about honor. And this is what I know. Well, this is what I, I know. Everybody in here has been mistreated at some time. You've been called a name by a teacher. Some of us have been maybe disrespected by the police. Your boss has spoke harshly in front of your whole team to you. Or your spouse has disrespected you in front of company or friends. And the question that, I, that God is posing to us today is, how do I want you to respond when that happens to you? And he says, I want you to respond with honor. If you, the, 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 the most difficult place for us to respond with honor isn't where everybody's honoring us, isn't where everybody's respecting us. The most difficult place to honor is when you're being dishonored yourself. And in the natural, you have every right. In the natural, you have every right to retaliate, to get them back, and to act just like they're treating you. But in the spirit, you don't. And this is what I thought about. There are different levels of leadership or different levels of leaders that we're supposed to honor in our society. The first one is social leaders. And listen, you may not be able to take all of this down, but it'll be up on the website in a week so you can go and listen to it again. Our social leaders are our employers, our bosses, our coaches, our teachers. First Timothy 6 and 1 says, hey, instruct every employee to respect and honor their employers. For this is the attitude that presents them as a clear testimony of God's truth and his renown. 
and it makes God's name look great. The second group that we look at is church leaders, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. The Bible says that we are to honor them. As a matter of fact, those that really do their work well, they deserve double honor. The third place of leadership or honor that we're supposed to respect is called domestic leaders. That is the father, the mother, wives, and husbands. In Ephesians 6 and 6, 2 and 3, it's on the screen. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. The second scripture pertaining to husbands towards wives, 1 Peter 3 and 7 says, the same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them. Delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in your new life of God's grace, they're your equals. Treat Wives, as equals, so your prayers don't run around. So God is telling us that there is a response when we honor people. And there is a blessing that comes. But he also says that there is hindrances that can take place. Husbands that don't honor their wives, God is like, I'm I'm not listening to you till you get that thing right. But you know what? Wives that don't honor husbands, it walks out the same way. Children that don't honor their parents, it says, if you honor them, it'll go well with you. What's the opposite of it going well? (laughs) If you don't honor your parents, it's not going to go well. And it also says you'll have long life. So it's saying that if you don't honor your parents, your life could be cut short. See, this is how important honor is. And then the last one is civil leaders, the people that God has put in place, policemen, firemen, mayors, judges, presidents. You, want, you know what I want to tell you about all of these different things that God says honor, whether it's social, civil, church? He's not talking about people. He's talking about positions. It isn't about people. It's it's not about personalities. It's about positions. So whether your wife's name is Wilma, Jacqueline, or Roscalina, I needed to pull that out. It's been a while. You owe her honor, but she don't treat me right. It doesn't matter. That's not what God's talking about. He's not talking about her personality. He's not talking about her as a person. If she holds the position of your wife, you owe her honor. If he owes the position of husband, you owe her honor. If someone owns the position of president, whether we like them or don't like them, they have to get honor. 
And if you honor the position, not the person, life will go well with you. I know in the age of social media, we feel like we can say what we want to say. And in conversations, we feel like we can do what we want to do. And I know everybody can't hear everything you say, but there is one person who hears everything. And he says, we will give an account on one day for every idle word. Honor is not about the person. Whoever is in whatever office, in whatever one of these positions, the Bible commands us to give them honor, no matter how we think they are, no matter what our personal opinion of them are. Now, listen, this doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that any of them say. I don't always agree with my wife. I don't always agree with maybe different things that are done in our country. I don't always agree with things that are done in our city. But do you know there's a way to disagree and still honor? You know, honor has a language to it. And we've forgotten the language of honor. The language of honor is, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. The language of honor is when I disagree with you, all all due respect, sir, ma'am. And sometimes you don't even have to throw in sir or ma'am in this. With all due respect, because you're respecting the position even though you don't honor the thought process, even though you don't agree with the thought process. And when we walk in this kind of honor, man, this is the highest kind of honor. Now, let me say this, because I have been the victim. When we talk about civil authorities, civil leaders, I've been the victor, victim of driving DWB. I have been driving while bald. I got it. I get it. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. I've been the victim. <laughs> that felt good when I wrote it down earlier, too. So. <laughs> but do you not remember there were years ago when I, was, when I was very irresponsible, very stupid, and I remember driving in a small town in our city. And see, for me, my parents taught me this. I, I, I didn't even know the Bible taught on it. I just, my parents taught me this. And so I got pulled over, DWB, driving while bald. And the officer came up to my car, and I knew that, you know, I, yeah, maybe I was one or two miles over. But we, you know how our mind works. It's only one or two miles. He pulled up to my car. And I knew that I had unpaid parking tickets because I was stupid. I was irresponsible back then. And I said, yes, sir. He says, son, do you realize you were driving X amount over speed limit? And I'm like, I mean, you know, inside I'm like, yeah, but you want to just say no because you think that you can get out of it. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah. I say, it's, it's on me. And he went back to his car, and, and, I mean, you all know how this story goes when you don't have tickets that are supposed to be paid. You, you start calling your cousins, <laughs> your, your mama, your dad. Hey, this is about to go down. Meet me in 
X-Place, Clayton, wherever you are. But I said, yes, sir. And I respected him. You know what he did? He wrote me out the ticket, but he let me go. See, there are many situations that I can't simplify with that. Because there are good situations or bad situations that take place. And there are good people in cars and there are bad people in cars. And there are good policemen and there are bad policemen. But do you know what I want to tell all of our young men, if you could get this part right, that you increase the ability to be handled with respect when you honor authority the way it's supposed to be honored. That there are situations, listen, come on, give God, come on. It's just real. There are bad situations. There are tough situations. There are mean and abrasive policemen that you can walk through things with. But man, when you posture your heart to honor the authority of the badge, no matter what, something will work out on your behalf. And when we learned, I learned that early on, that it isn't about how you treat me. If you're in a place of authority because of the position, I'm going to honor you. There's this young man who was going to court and he walked into the courtroom and had his hat cocked to the side and uh, approached the, uh, Pastor Harvey actually told me his story. He approached the bench and the, the judge is talking to him and his answers are really flippant and like he doesn't care, has no respect for what's taking place. And the judge looks at him and he says, listen, you may not like me, but you will respect this bench. Because the bench meant something. And if we, if we don't learn to separate people from principle, what ends up happening is we will miss out on things that God has for us. It is not your boss's fault that you've been fired from the last few jobs just because when they asked you to do something, you're like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not, come on, I'm not your servant. I'm not your slave. You can't make me do that. Hey, listen, I sign off on your paychecks, fool. I can't tell you what to do. And for us, as long as it doesn't violate our beliefs and scripture, the Bible teaches that we're supposed to go forward and do it. So this you know, when you talk about something that's difficult, people need a picture. They need a, a like, case study to see how this thing really looks because, you know, this is a hard thing that, that God is asking us. See, I'm not asking you this. This is what God is asking us to do to bring him glory. Remember at the beginning of this whole series, we talked about the fact that we are not here for ourselves. We are here to bring glory to God. And when we walk out these things in the way that God wants us to, we bring glory to God. So it isn't about you in those moments. It's about who you represent. And we have this story. David, Saul. And some of you all are familiar with it, but for some of you all that aren't familiar with it, let me give you a little background story. Saul was the first king of Israel. As he was the king of Israel, God had picked him. And Samuel, the prophet, was the one who walked alongside him to guide him in godly matters. God told Samuel not 
or God had set up a system of sacrifice where Samuel was supposed to sacrifice in a war. Saul is just supposed to lead the people in the war. Samuel is delayed for whatever reason the Bible doesn't say. Saul decides to do Samuel's job. God's like, nah, I never told you to do that. And since he violated God's standard, God said, that anointing that's on you to be king, it is now gone. I am stripping you of your position. So Samuel goes around and and God tells him, go to Jesse's house and find uh, somebody in Jesse's house. And so as he goes, he has this oil that he's pouring over all of Jesse's kids' heads. He goes to the, the oldest and the most handsome, and that isn't the one. Because God makes this powerful statement. Men look at what's on the outside. God looks at what's in the heart. Goes to all of the brothers. One brother, number eight, who hadn't been picked, hadn't been chosen, was out in the field. Daddy didn't even think enough of him to bring him in. And, and Samuel says, there's one more son. Bring him in. And he brings him in, and the oil flows over David's head. And David is anointed to be the next king. But Saul is still in office. David knows he's the next king. Saul, who is wrestling with demons of himself, because when the anointing came off of him, it was as if he, God allowed him to be opened up to demonic oppression. And he calls David, hey, hey, bring I, that, that guy, bring, bring David in. I want him to play the harp for me. But before this even happened, David made a name for himself. Because while everybody else was running away from that giant Goliath, you heard the story of David and Goliath. David was the one that ran right at him and said, I'll take him on. And he defeated Goliath and ends up. So here it is. He defeats Goliath. He's he's now famous in all of Israel as the man who defeated Goliath. And now he's in the kingdom serving Saul as his musician, that when his music plays, whatever demonic activity over him subsides. David's like, I didn't come up. I'm in the pasture one day and in the palace the next day. God's anointing is on me to be king. I can imagine David, this is me, because God's still working on me. Walking in the, through the house, that table, it's my table. That bedroom that Saul's in, that's mine. I'm alone to you, though. You can have it for a season. These servants, this castle, this nation, it's all mine. I'm just waiting on my time. And Saul, one day, because of jealousy, because they're saying, David, is Saul has killed his thousands. Stay with me. We're going to get in there. I want you to hear this so you can know where David was coming from. The people are saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So now Saul is under David as far as notoriety with the people. Gets jealous and takes a spear one day and throws it at David to kill him. David's like, well, time to bounce. Time to go. And David, for the next few years, would run for his life. He's already anointed to be king. And he knows that God has to have something happen to Saul so he could have Saul's position. And so one day while they were on the run, and we'll pick this up in 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 6, 
They're on the run. Saul is now chasing David to kill him. And he says, when Saul came back from fighting the Philistines, he was told, now David is in the desert near En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 of his best trained men from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. He came to some sheep pens along the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. He went to potty. And while David and his men were sitting further back in the cave, he went into the very cave that David and his men was in, and he didn't know it. And they sit back, and David's men are like, this is it. Today is the day the Lord referred to when he said, I'm going to hand your enemy over to you. You can do with him whatever you want to do. See, what I've learned about the crowd is the crowd will get you jacked up. Everybody knows that what Saul is doing to David isn't right. Everybody knows that David loves Saul. All of them know that. But the crowd will get you to say, because of what they see, David, you need to take him out. As a matter of fact, the Lord told me... This is your opportunity, David. Take him out. But the Bible says David walks over being influenced. Hear me. Being influenced by what everybody else is doing. What everybody else is thinking. He walks over, takes a spear, jabs it right at the cloak of Saul. Cuts off a part of his garment. And the Bible says right here in verse 5. David's conscience bothered him. See, David had a heart to honor. And David says his conscience bothered him. And he says afterwards, uh, he'd gone or he said to his men this statement. It is unthinkable for me to raise my hand against his majesty, the Lord's king. Since he is the Lord's anointed. Notice what he didn't say. It's unthinkable for me to raise my hand against Saul. He says it's not about Saul right now. He is the king that God has put in place. I will not despise my God by doing something to the king that he has put in place. I will not dishonor my wife or by God by dishonoring my wife. I will not dishonor God by dishonoring my husband. I will not dishonor God by dishonoring my parents. Why? Because it's not about the person. It's about the position. I will not dishonor my mayor or president because it's not about the person. It's about the position. And David gave us a couple of different things to look at. The first thing, he honored the position, not the person. The second thing, David trusted in God to deal with Saul. See, this is the thing. When you get this part, this allows you to honor no matter what. 
I don't have to take my own destiny into my own hands. If I trust God, see, the greatest expression of my trust in God is when somebody's dogging me out and I say, you know what, God, I'm going to honor them anyway because you can do more than I can do to that situation. The third thing he showed us, David was honoring God by honoring Saul. It wasn't about Saul. It was about God. And then the last thing he showed us, he modeled honor to those he was leading. He, was, he didn't just talk about honoring. He lived it. So when everybody else wanted to take Saul out, he took those 400 men that were following him and he showed all of them, this is what this thing is supposed to look like. So I'm going to give you three things that will help you live this out because this ain't easy. (laughs) Because when you're being mistreated, when you're being dogged out, when you're being done wrong, it's easy to make it about the person. But our lives are set up in such a way where everything we do reflects who God is. So the first thing you, you've got to do to be able to live this out, you've got to fear God. We have lost the fear of God. We have lost the fact that I do what I do because I fear God. Not because it gives me notoriety, not because it makes me popular, not because somebody else is going to be able to look at me and give me a great name. Listen, I'll tell you this. Promotion doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, or the west. It comes directly from God. When I fear God and walk things out because I fear him, I don't care what anybody thinks about me or says about me. God will see to it that I will raise to the top of whatever situation I'm in. Because I went When I fear God, it means I respect him, I reverence him, I honor him, and the greatest expression of my honor towards him is how I treat you. The second thing, so it's the fear of God, and the second thing you've got to have is the love of God. It is the love of God. Matthew 5, 43 through 28, and this was the one that I really wanted to hone in on. You're familiar with the old written law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion. Hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. This is Jesus talking. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring the best in you out, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out the true selves, your true selves, your God-centered selves or God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If you do, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect the bonus? Anybody could do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, come on now. Do you expect a medal? (laughs) Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that, but we're not run-of-the-mill sinners. We are the righteousness of God. We are heirs to God's kingdom. We are kingdom seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, and I love this part, in a word what I'm saying Grow up. 
your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. So you want to treat people right that treat you right? Anybody can do that. That's a low level of life. You want to live on the high life? Treat somebody good that's dogging you. Honor your boss when, they're not, when he's not honoring you. Honor the police when you don't feel like they have your best interest in mind. Honor that husband or that wife that may be treating you in a manner that you know isn't godly. Listen, you know what I've learned? It takes mature people to take this step and honor when you're not being honored. And, you know, we wonder why, well, if I know God, why am I broke? Why am I struggling? Why is my life not taking off? I go to church every Sunday, not every Sunday, every. I read my Bible. I do all of this stuff. And do you know what? If you don't honor people, it can take away from all of it. But God promises that when you honor, there is favor and blessings that will fall in your life like never before. A 12-year-old that walks in honor is greater than a 42-year-old millionaire. Because that 12-year-old has something money can't buy. The favor of God. That favor is worth millions of dollars because what you'd have to pay millions for favor will give it to you for free. Favor will give you a full ride to college when everybody else has the money to pay for their own college. Favor will give you the job when you're not educated enough or experienced enough. Favor will set you high for promotions while everybody's wondering, how did you get promoted? How? No, you know why? Because when I honor the way God says honor, favor breaks down doors. Favor lifts me up. Favor promotes me. Favor gives me such grace. That I can walk in the any place and everybody around me thinks that I'm the least. I treat them like royalty and God will lift me above them. I tell this to kids all the time. Don't sweat the bully in high school. Later on, you'll be his boss. Because God has a way of rewarding when we do this stuff right. And the last thing that we're going to need, listen, (laughs) we're really going to need this. You'll need the fear of God, the love of God. But to walk this thing out, we're going to need the grace of God. Because this isn't humanly possible. It is the grace of God that empowers us to do the supernatural. It is the grace of God that gives us the strength to look our most difficult moment right in the eye with all hurt in our hearts and say, God, for you, I live for you. I die. I live to glorify you in this moment and not get revenge in this moment. God, give me the grace. To live what I believe right now. God, give me the power. Anoint me to do the thing.
thing because in my strength, I can't do it. But in you, I can do all things, God. It is, as I close, this cross of honor is a cross that our Savior walked in front of us. He was set in the Garden of Gethsemane, faced with two different thoughts. Lord, I can do this the way I want to do it. Stay here with everybody else. Be here with everybody else. Or I could die to myself and die for the sins of the world. And in that moment, Jesus had to make a choice. Am I going to do what I want to do? Or am I going to do what God's telling me to do? And the Bible says, for the joy that was set in front of him, he endured the cross. Today, Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father. Glory and honor are his forever and ever. But he had to make a choice at that cross to die to myself so that I could live for God. Some of you all today may be facing mistreatment from a spouse, from an employer. Some of you are struggling with this thing with the the police and, and all of the walkings of being in this natural world. I get it. But today, you have a cross. What part of the cross are you going to live out? The one where you do what you want to do, how you want to do it, the way you want to do it? Or the one where you say, God, I'll deny myself today so that I can bring you glory. But you got to give me the grace to do it. So listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, That cross that he died on is for you. When he had to make a decision, if I'm going to do what I want to do or do what God says do, he had you in mind that if I do what I want to do, the the world won't be saved. The world won't have relationship with you, Father. But if I do what you want me to do, the whole world has an opportunity to come to you. It was the ultimate sacrificial thought. Jesus had men that were less than him beating him. He had men who didn't know that he was the savior of the world. They slapped him. They beat him. They ridiculed him. But the Bible says he humbled himself under men that weren't worthy of him because God had something greater in store. Hope you enjoyed that message. If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.